0: Hi I'm Matt and I'm Lauren and this is the Out of Time podcast. Welcome to episode two. We hope you enjoyed the first episode and we're excited to carry on.
1: It's a bit of a different one to the first episode and if you don't like it you can blame me because I did all the research and the show notes.
0: Well I'm excited for this one.
1: Thank you. We said we wanted to bring something for everyone and I think one thing that everyone has enjoyed at some point in their life is a really good story or a fairy tale. But before Disney bought us beautifully animated stories where everybody gets their happily ever after, usually after a few all too memorable sing-alongs, at least in our house, many of our well-known children's stories were not quite so pleasant, but arguably far more interesting. Matt, when you think of fairy tales, what are some of the first stories that come to mind? Uh,
0: well, like Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Red Riding Hood, things like that.
1: Yeah and probably the most famous and well-known collection of fairy tales is that published by the brothers Grimm in 1812 originally titled nursery and household tales over the next 40 years these stories were adapted as new editions of the book were published and when the final version was released in 1857 the original folk tales had been modified and evolved into more recognizable versions of the bedtime stories we tell today including the ones you've just mentioned but do you know the story of two brothers who, against a backdrop of political and social upheaval, travelled their homeland in search of a way to preserve the very essence of their cultural heritage? This is the true story of Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Born just a year apart in 1785 and 1786 respectively, Jacob and Wilhelm were the eldest of five brothers and one sister, born to Philip Grimm and his wife Dorothea in Hanau. That's close to Frankfurt in Germany now. Okay. Okay. The family fell on hard times in 1796, when just days after Jacob's 11th birthday, their father died of pneumonia. Philip had been a lawyer and town clerk, so when I say hard times, I mean they went from being middle class to living in poverty.
0: That's so sad.
1: It is, but fortunately for the brothers, their aunt helped to provide financial support. That meant two years later they were able to attend high school in Castle. By all accounts, the brothers were inseparable. Although Jacob was very much a scholar, Wilhelm held a fondness for the arts. Both shared a very strong work ethic and would apparently study for up to 12 hours a day.
0: So obviously very devoted students.
1: Well, I imagine that given everything they'd been through in the recent years, they were both just very grateful for the opportunity to study. I think our education system is something that we all very much take for granted nowadays. Both brothers went on to follow in their father's footsteps by studying law at university, paying for their own education unlike a lot of their peers from wealthier families. Jacob later wrote of this in his biography that sparseness spurs a person to industriousness and work.
0: Wow, I think a lot more people could benefit from taking that outlook, because working hard does pay off.
1: Yeah, and there are a couple of quotes from the brothers that I've included in this episode, which I thought gave a bit of an insight into their way of thinking. I might try and find a translated version of Jacob's autobiography, because i love to read more of his own words, if that makes sense. It's here at the University of Marburg that the story of the Brothers Grimm really began. This is also the point that I do need to make an apology because for the rest of this episode I'm probably going to absolutely butcher a lot of names of people and places and I'm very sorry. Foreign languages was never really my thing at school. Initially I had to take French and as soon as I could I dropped it in favour of extra science. So I'm sorry, I'm trying. (laughs) Frédéric Carl von Savigny had received his degree from Marburg University in 1800 and straight away began his teaching career there, initially as an unpaid lecturer. His influence on the brothers' lives was huge, especially Jacobs, and I honestly think that without Frédéric they would not have gone on to do the work that they did. Frédéric was a pioneering expert and writer in law who advocated that historical rights and facts should be analysed and used to form the basis of the legal system. The brothers knew him as a professor at the university, and he really sparked their interest in German history and literature. He afforded them the chance to work with medieval manuscripts and learn how to be faithful to the original texts, and obviously this would be crucial to their work later on. Frederick introduced Jacob and Wilhelm to other scholars, including poets Ludwig, Akim von Arnim, and Clemens Brantano who were key players and contributors to the second phase of German Romanticism, which very much placed an emphasis and helped to revive people's interest in German history and folklore. Remember that Jacob's the eldest sibling, and as their father had passed away, he was financially responsible for his mother and other siblings. So in 1805, Jacob went with Frederick to France to work as an assistant on a research project, collecting materials on medieval history and law. This was the beginning of one of the very rare periods that Jacob and Wilhelm spent apart, but they wrote to each other constantly, and while in Paris, Jacob wrote of his desire to dedicate his life to the study of German literary history. It's important to note that at this time, the Napoleonic War was in full swing, and I think it's safe to assume that once this passion for their country's history and folklore had been ignited, it would only have been fuelled by the current political circumstances, Jacob actually became a secretary of the Hessian War Office in 1806, and while the war undoubtedly had an impact on both of them, as it did for a lot of people living in Europe at the time, I don't want to go too in-depth about it in this episode. Having said that, I am just going to reference it for a little bit longer. The French assumed control in 1808, and Jacob was employed as a private librarian by Jerome Bonaparte, king of the newly created Westphalia. This is also the year that their mother, Dorothea, died, and at 23 years old, Jacob becomes solely responsible for his five siblings. He went on to become an auditor for the Council of State, which was the highest court in France, for cases regarding public administration. So that's the implementation of government policy. After Napoleon's defeat in 1813, Jacob returned to Hessian diplomatic service. He actually went to Paris twice to help recover some important books and paintings that had been taken by the French during the war.
0: That's really interesting. I had no idea.
1: No, and I don't think you often think about the spoils of war in terms of art and cultural history and the artefacts associated with those. It's easy to forget that that is a part of war. And I think because the Grimm's Fairy Tales is so famous, it's easy to forget that they, they had lives outside of this work and they were actually both very interesting people. So what was Wilhelm up to while all this was going on? For a long time, he remained unemployed, and the reason cited for this was his ill health. He contracted scarlet fever, and it left him with an ongoing heart condition. However, in 1814, he became a secretary at the Elector's Library in Castle, and two years later, Jacob joined him. By now, neither of them were particularly interested in pursuing the careers in law or civil service they previously had planned. I would say that literature was more than just an interest for Jacob and Wilhelm. It completely fascinated them and I'd definitely call it more of a vocation to which they were totally dedicated. Together they lived modestly in the same house, working on their studies of historic literature, knowing they wanted to help preserve the cultural heritage of their nation, its values and its people. I spoke earlier about the romantic poets Arnim and Brentano, whom the brothers had met at university. Between them, they had published a collection of old Germanic folk songs in 1805, and Brentano in particular wanted to continue his philological studies. He asked the brothers to assist him by researching and collecting stories for him.
0: So, what is philology?
1: Philology is a type of linguistic study which aims to determine the authenticity and meaning of literary texts as well as oral and written records in their original form. So, it's the basically the study of how people wrote and spoke in the past, and that's why original form is the key part. Because, as we all know, language develops over time, and if you were to apply a contemporary use of language to a text that was several hundred years old, it could lead you to a very different interpretation than what was intended in the source material.
0: Okay, so very similar to, like, Shakespeare.
1: Yeah, so when you look at Shakespeare at school, you instantly recognise it as a form of English but you have to look past your own phrasing and understanding to truly understand what he meant at the time that it was written. So I see quite a lot like that. Okay. And I think it's important to understand their background in philology because it really impacted on the way they approached collecting the stories, which would go on to form their published work. They were also very careful to distinguish between what they classed as true folk tales and any other literature. So they put a lot of time into this project, and it certainly required great effort and attention to detail. Although their jobs at the library didn't pay much, it gave them the time to devote to their research. And I think being time-rich is often more important when you're working on something you're really passionate about. They started by combing through books in libraries for faithful renditions of what I assume were the most common folk tales, but fairly soon they decided they wanted to go further by recording the spoken stories that didn't appear in the written records. We're talking about stories that have been told by parents to their children for generations but had never been officially documented. It doesn't take a long stretch of the imagination to think that, given everything that had happened during the Napoleonic War and the real start of industrialisation, these oral traditions were in danger of being forgotten. A quote in one source says that the brothers wanted to preserve them from vanishing, forever silent in the tumult of our times. So beginning with friends and acquaintances, they began to seek out storytellers mainly women, one of whom was Dorothea Pearson-Weimann. Her father was an innkeeper near Castle, and this particular inn was very popular among travellers. Dorothea would recount the stories she'd heard to Jacob and Wilhelm, and she was the main contributor to the Brothers' collection.
0: I mean, that's very clever of them to utilise her position in the inn.
1: Yeah, I agree, and Dorothea really was invaluable, because from the beginning the Brothers wanted to include not only the German tales, but those from further afield, And obviously because she would regularly encounter travellers, she was well placed at the inn to hear stories that other people may not have heard. I'm going to put in a picture on Instagram of a painting I saw, which depicts Dorothea talking to the brothers at the inn, so do go over and check that out. In 1810, the brothers sent a total of 54 tales to Brentano, but he never actually used them. It was Arnim who actively encouraged Jacob and Wilhelm to publish their work. And thank goodness he did, because... Among the 86 stories that were eventually published in 1812 and an additional 70 in 1814 were some of the classics you might just recognise. Snow White, Little Red Riding Hood, Rumpelstiltskin, Rapunzel, Sleeping Beauty, and in my opinion, the scariest of them all, Hansel and Gretel.
0: I mean, some of the stories I still don't read our kids.
1: No, definitely not. And I remember being a child and I used to listen to show my age cassette tapes story cassettes yep. to fall asleep at night and i had a little purple cassette tape that had fairy sta- fairy tales on it and one of them was hansel and gretel it didn't help me sleep i would sort of lay there anxiously waiting for it to start and thinking oh no this one's really scary <laughs> <laughs> sure. so i think it's arguable whether some of these stories are suitable for children but I did some research and I was listening to a few podcasts and things like that. And some literary experts have said that what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale, in a sense, is the way that it's written and the fact that there is a certain formula that it always follows. All right. So because children understand this and they recognize the pattern in the stories, it's a safe place for them to explore issues that you might not want to talk to them about in real world terms so think of abusive relationships between step parents or parents and children they know that it's all going to come out with a happily ever after yeah so they're quite accepting of those behaviors in the stories because of the fact that it is a fairy tale so it's a safe space for them to explore these issues
0: that's that's very interesting
1: yeah i thought so it's often presumed that the brothers would have made changes to the stories as they recorded them, but they insisted that they didn't, and that all tales were collected with exactness and truth. I think taking a story that's only been spoken and turning it into something suitable for reading in print perhaps would have required them to adjust the format, but given their approach and the original content, I do believe they were faithful in their retellings of these folk tales. They were true nationalists, and they really wanted to see a united Germany. They believed that these stories, that were common to many regions, could help to give people a national identity, bringing them together through their shared traditions and history. I think it's fascinating that so many of the fairy tales we now know could potentially have been lost if it weren't for Jacob and Wilhelm's dedication and devotion to preserving them. And initially the collection was an academic study. The 1812 book wasn't really intended as a children's storybook as such. I think you can infer that from the original title being Household and Nursery Tales, as if they weren't quite sure who the intended audience should be. The first edition didn't even have illustrations, and the original stories are very dark and include some really gruesome details. I won't talk about that too much or any specific stories right now, because I do actually want to do a few episodes focusing on the origins of different fairy tales, and how they've changed over time, so potentially... This episode is the start of a miniseries within the main podcast. I
0: mean, that could be really fun, and I'd like to do that.
1: Yeah, I think we'll definitely do it. But one of the main things that Wilhelm allegedly really struggled with in the original versions was the relationship between parents and their children. So when you think of the classic evil stepmother, for example, originally, in some of the tales, it was the child's biological parent, not a stepparent, who would have this very dysfunctional, often abusive relationship with the main character. I think the most obvious example would be Snow White. Wilhelm really wasn't comfortable with the idea that a parent could treat their child that way, so I suppose the aim of making it a step-parent instead was to put some sort of distance between the characters and their relationship. Mm. And the book was a great success, arguably more so for later editions. As time went on, some stories were removed or replaced, and illustrations were added to make the stories more suitable for children. It was Wilhelm who adapted them, removing some of the darker elements of the plots and extending those tales that had previously been much shorter. Interestingly, the front piece for the second edition was done by no other than Ludwig Grimm, their younger brother, who had become a successful artist and art professor.
0: So so a very creative family then?
1: Very much, and all very clearly academic alongside that when you look at their long-term careers. The seventh and last edition was published in 1857, and that is the most well-known version of the Grimm's fairy tales. Both Jacob and Wilhelm went on to publish other books and academic papers, both together and individually, making them not only household names, but well-respected scholars in the fields of literary and linguistic study. Just to give you an idea of how important their work was, the most famous of the sound laws in linguistics is Grimm's law, first detailed by Jacob in his paper, German Grammar in 1822. Wow. Yeah, he didn't deem it Grimm's law, but that's how it's become to be known. He was able to demonstrate that as closely linked languages develop, such as German and other Indo-European languages, some consonants undergo changes in the way they're spoken, and Grimm's law identified that there are regular patterns to those sound changes, which shows it's not a random process, which is what had previously been thought. Okay. So, for example, a Latin or Greek p would become a Gothic f, but remain a p in Slavic and Sanskrit. Or a K in Greek and Latin would become a H in Gothic and SH in Sanskrit and an S in Slavic. It's actually quite complicated and that's a really basic description, but I hope that does make some sort of sense. Yeah, definitely. In 1825, Wilhelm married Henriette Dorothea Wilde, a neighbour and friend of his sister, whose family had also contributed stories to the collection, most notably that of Hansel and Gretel. They went on to have four children together. Jacob still lived in the same house as Wilhelm and his family, but he was never married himself. Life carried on like this until 1829, when a senior colleague at the library where the brother's worked died and they were not given the promotion to fill the now vacant position. Given all their hard work and their successful scholarly work, I can only imagine that this was particularly insulting. Consequently, both Jacob and Wilhelm accepted positions as librarians and professors of Germanic studies at the University of Göttingen. However, a year later, King Ernest Augustus of Hanover demanded oaths of allegiance from all the professors at Göttingen University following his repeal of the Constitution of 1833. He believed the Constitution to be too liberal because he was strongly opposed to citizens having increased input into the formation of constitutional governments. So in an act of political protest, Jacob, Wilhelm and five other professors refused to pledge and were immediately dismissed from their positions, becoming known as the Göttingen Seven. Jacob was one of three professors believed to be the instigators of the process, and all three of them were actually exiled from the Kingdom of Hanover. For three years, many universities in Germany, as well as the Netherlands, Switzerland and France, offered both brothers positions. In 1840, both brothers accepted an invitation from the King of Prussia to go to Berlin and lecture at the university as members of the Royal Academy of Sciences. It's here they began their final project, an ambitious and extensive German dictionary. Unfortunately, this would never be finished. Wilhelm died of an infection in 1859. This devastated Jacob, and it's very easy when you look at their lives to understand why. Not only had they lived and worked together for the vast majority, but they had shared in their mutual heartaches, responsibilities and vocations. Jacob became more distant and reclusive following Wilhelm's passing, continuing work on their dictionary until his own death four years later in 1863. So, there you have it. Not only did the Brothers Grimm bring us arguably the best collection of children's stories, but they also made a huge and lasting contribution academically, especially in regards to the study of linguistics. Grimm's fairy tales is often referred to as the earliest scientific collection of folk tales because of the painstaking methods used to maintain the original essence of the stories themselves, as they have been told for generations. The collection has been translated into over 70 languages, and the tales contained within have provided inspirations for countless other storytellers through art, music, film and more. Like many fairy tales, the story of the Brothers Grimm is a rags-to-riches one, although I'd argue the main riches sought by Jacob and Wilhelm was knowledge. As important German scholars, the Brothers had far more of an impact than I ever knew, and I have to say that doing the research for this episode has really made me want to learn even more about them and their work, definitely more about linguistics, which is something I'd never actually thought too much about before.
0: I have mean, found it absolutely fascinating to find out more about people behind the stories
1: oh i'm glad you enjoyed the episode because i did worry
0: well i never knew that they had so much go on in their personal lives
1: no they were really fascinating people and i'm i'm glad you enjoyed hearing some more about them
0: Mm, definitely i mean it's nothing like um that film you made me watch what was it called
1: Oh the the Brothers Grimm film with um oh who's in it Heath Ledger. Oh yeah. Yeah. No that that's a bit of fun that film. I mean it's very obviously not accurate to life but even some of the main facts about the brothers is just completely wrong but no it's it's a bit of fun. It's the fairy tale itself and if, if you've got a couple of hours to kill where you don't have to really concentrate I'd definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah. It definitely made us laugh. <laughs>
1: it did. So I think we'll definitely follow this up I'll find a translated copy of the original tales, pair it up with what we know now and my brother's Grimm book that you've already bought me, my Grimm's Fairy Tales from 1909, and keep an eye out for the episodes that are going to follow this one up. I think we might have to do two or three stories, perhaps, per episode to keep it a good length.
0: Yeah, definitely. If you enjoyed this, then please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Spotify.
1: If you have any suggestions of topics that you would like us to cover, email us at outoftimepodcast at outlook.com.
0: Follow us on Instagram at outoftimepodcast and look us up on our Facebook page. It's called Out of Time Podcast.
1: It's a slight theme, trying to make it as easy to find as possible. <laughs> so yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us again for some more history, mystery, mythology and murder here on the Out of Time Podcast.